Praise the Lord. You know, when you get in, in the presence of God, there's so, it's so rich and there's so many things. And, you know, you want to go here, you want to stay here, but, you know, but then you want to do what God wants you to do. <laughs> so it's, um, praise God. So I believe we're going to look at the word a little bit tonight. Um, we have been talking about faithfulness, right? Okay, so when you think about faithfulness, if you were to just put it all in the one, one, if you had to make one sentence or, or, or one thought, what comes to your mind when you think of faithfulness? God. God. Because God is faithful, right? Um, so that pretty much sums up what faithfulness is. You look at God and you have figured out what faithfulness is because he's faithful. Now, one of the things that we have um, looked at, we, we um, are, have determined that if we're going to be like God or if we're going to be faithful, we got to be like God, right? We got to do or have some of his attributes, his character, um, see things the way that he sees them and act from a point of understanding this is how God would act, right? Remember they used to say that uh, saying, what would Jesus do? You know, that was so popular for a while, that slogan, what would Jesus do? And um, I think it kind of got old. I don't think people, but you know, that's still true. (laughs) Whether it's, a, you know, people see it as a slogan or not. What would Jesus do? You're in a situation. What would Jesus do? It's still relevant today. And so when we're thinking about faithfulness, what is faithfulness? God. So what would God do? What would Jesus do? What would the Holy Spirit do? Right? So we looked at um, Proverbs chapter 20. Remember? Um, we looked at that. We looked at, uh, why don't we turn there real quick? Proverbs chapter 20, just really quick. Remember, many can do what? Many can say that they're faithful, right? So Proverbs chapter 20 and um, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man Who can find? Who can find? A faithful man who can find? Well, I believe there's faithful people right here in this room. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And then we looked at um, Matthew chapter 25. Let's look at that real quick. And we're going to read that, um, a little bit of that. So it says here in Matthew chapter 25. Well, you know, before we get there, let me just, let me do just a little bit more. I was trying not to do too much uh, reviewing, but some stuff I guess I just have to say. So we looked at that, but um, we saw that God is faithful and we are to act like him. So, for instance, like in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says we should be imitate God. Um, therefore, in everything we do, because we are his children, right? 
um, we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, amplified edition, classic edition, God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore every true, ever true to his promise, he can be dependent upon. By him you were called into companionship and, part, and, and participation with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, we also looked at the fact that God is present. Remember we said that you got to be there. So to be a faithful husband, you got to be there, right? To be a faithful mom, you got to be there. To be a faithful employee, you have to be there, right? To be a faithful church-going person, you got to be there, right? So we talked about being there. And we um, said that, of course, we know Jesus has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, correct? And then we um, also looked at the fact that God is always the same. He doesn't change, right? In Malachi chapter 3, I am the Lord and I change not, right? So we looked at that. We looked at the importance of us being um, consistent, not um, being wishy-washy, but being, being the same, being the same. You know, thinking about this, how many have you heard on your, on your jobs where people will say, well, the boss is coming, so now all of a sudden they got to change what they're doing, how they're acting. Well, it shouldn't matter whether the boss is coming or not. If you're being paid to do a job, you should be the same whether the boss is standing there or whether the boss isn't standing there, right? So that's being the same. So that would be an example of being the same. You know, so we, we want to um, emulate that. We want to be the same. I gave the um, illustration of my, one of my bosses. You know, we would watch and see how she was coming in the, how she was coming in the door. Because she was not the same all the time. One day she would be great, and the next day she would be... Not great. I'll just put it that way. Okay? So it, it, it made it, it, did, it wasn't a good um, environment because people were always on pins and needles. Um, and so we, we talked about those things, but now let's, let's go ahead and look at this um, particular uh, parable because how many of you want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Want to hear him say that, right? Okay. Well, in this particular um, passage, Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 14. It says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man, I'm reading from the King James, is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own service and servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So we see here that the king, or the man, excuse me, was, um, he gave out money, you know, 
he gave them money. He gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave one one. And he gave it according to their ability, according to what he knew, what he perceived they were able to do something with. Okay, so not everybody got the same, right? So it says in verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Um, Does this remind you of what's going to happen when we all are before Jesus, the judgment seat? Yeah, so we're going to have to give an account for what we've done in this body, in this earth, with what he has given us, okay? So it says here, so he had, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me uh, five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. So he doubled what he had been given. His Lord said to him, Everybody say it with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So um, in Luke, there's a um, similar story. It's not quite the same, but in that story, it says that the the person um, said it says that he'll be ruler over 10 cities. You know, so it says here, you've been a ruler, you know, faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Right. So then um, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. Interesting. Gathering where you have, were, where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the one who had the five talents and the one who had the two talents, they both went and did something with what the man had given them. They multiplied it. You know, think about when you are um, on a job and you are given a, a position. And then you, you take that and then you start studying or you may take a class or you do something so that you can improve, you can gain more knowledge, you can be better at what you're doing, right? Right? You know, they have those things where you 
periodically like teachers, they have to go back periodically and take some other classes so they can keep up their license and stuff. So they're always learning. They're always doing something. Um, you know, various occupations, that's the way they are. They're always learning something. They're always requiring you to do something. And I find it so interesting that we in the world can see, well, this is what I got to do. But then when God requires us to do something, we're like, well, why do I have to do that? But in the world, we see that it's necessary to, as they say, sharpen your skills, right? So we're always sharpening. We're trying to figure out, you know, we want to be good at our job. We want to be the best. We want promotion. We want this. Well, do you know God wants to promote us as well? God wants to do more with us as well. God is looking at, okay, so I gave you these talents. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to multiply them? Are you going to increase them? Are you going to do something to be better? For instance, in, in the church. Okay, let's say I have someone who is a children's you know, works in, children, in the children's department. Well, some ways that they could be better at working in the children's department is to read information about, well, how do you minister to children? Because you don't minister to children the same way you minister to adults, even though some adults have told me, you need to minister to me just like I'm a child. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's not the same. You have two and three-year-olds, they're different from an eight-year-old, right? So how do you, so one way they can get better at that and use the skill. So God has called them, God says, I want you to be in children's ministry. This is where I've called you. This is what I want you to do in the church. So it would be to you know, to their best interest to learn about that ministry. Right? If you were a school teacher, you have to learn about the children. Right? So, as I said, it's interesting to me that we see the importance in the secular world of continuing to work on our skills and be better at what we do. But when it comes to the church, many times we just kind of settle. Like, well, I'm doing my part. I'm here. Or, you know, God told me to, to, to do this. So, you know, I'm coming in the class. I'm in there with the children. Okay, you're in there with them, but what are you doing? It's important. What are you doing? God has entrusted. Think about it. He has entrusted those little lives into your hands. So that time that you spend with them will change their life in some way, some fashion or form. Either for the good or for the bad. 
They're either going to say, what did you learn? If parents ask, what did you learn in, in, in children's church today? Oh, I don't know. No, you want them to be able to say, well, you know, we learned about Jesus. We learned how to pray or we learned um, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we learned about, um, you know, why we give, whatever it may be. And that's just one area. You know, being an usher, everything that we do for God is at least equally important as what we do on our job. At least equally important. I would venture to say more important. Right? But at least, can you give me at least? So this is what this this person did. He's just like, I, I got you. I, I know you gave me this talent. I know you gave this to me, but, you know, I just hid it. I just sat in the classroom and I just watched the kids sit there and play. Praise God. All right. So that's not really my message tonight. <laughs> not sure why we got on that. Because tonight what we were supposed to be talking about is being trustworthy. <laughs> so trustworthy is another attribute of God. And let me ask you, can God trust you? Do you trust him? Can he be trusted? Is he trustworthy? Can he trust you? Now, you know, when you think about trustworthy, it's talking about being honest. It's talking about being reliable. Right? Dependable. So before you say yes, <laughs> let's think about it. Praise God. So in Numbers chapter 23, let's look at Numbers 23, verse 19. I brought my iPad up here and I keep going to my papers. But anyway, Numbers chapter 23 Verse 19, the King James Version says it this way. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Now that's trustworthy, right? Okay, the New Living Translation said it, says it this way. God is not, not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? No, he's not. If he said it, if he promised it, he'll carry it through. He'll bring it to pass. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the King James Version says this, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled our, uh, for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, let me read that to you in the um, New Living Translation. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. 
So God has both given his promise and his oath. Okay? Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The new, um, I'm sorry, the easy to read version says it this way. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie. When he says something, he cannot lie when he makes an oath. So these two things are a great help to us who have come to God for safety. They encourage us to hold on to the hope that is ours. So these are two things. God cannot lie. Right? He cannot lie. And when he makes an oath, he won't lie. Now think about this. If God told one lie, will we believe his word? Will we believe him? Will we be able to trust him? Because we'd be thinking, well, if you didn't tell me the truth about that, you know, a lot of people say, well, there is no heaven and hell. In fact, my mom was telling me today that someone she was dealing with that she was ministering to told her that there's no heaven and hell. And she said, I told her, baby, there is a hell and there is a heaven. And if you don't believe me now, you will believe me when you leave this earth. God said it. So he didn't make it up. It's not a lie. It's the truth. But if he were to lie about one thing, it would be difficult for us to trust him about other things, right? So that would make him not trustworthy. So when we, as the children of God, we're supposed to be imitators of him. When we lie, can people trust us? And I don't, you know, maybe there is, but including myself, I could not stand here and tell you that I've never lied because that would be a lie. Okay? And I don't know if there's anybody else in this room who could stand and say, well, Minister and I've never lied. I'd probably say, well, you're lying right now. <laughs> you know, but, but us being trustworthy, we have to be people of our word. You know, there was a time um, when people could, on a handshake, when they, when they shook hands, They meant it, and they did everything to make sure that they kept their word. But now today, you could have 85 pages, all signed and everything, and people look at you and say, I didn't say that. I didn't sign that. I didn't, that's not what I meant. But you signed the papers. So God is, is saying, you know, God does not like lying. Y'all know that, right? He doesn't. That is not. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We'll just see what God thinks about lying. If you're going to be trustworthy, if we are going to, not, not you, if we are going to be trustworthy, we have to This is one of those, another thing that we have to work at not doing, okay? 
so Proverbs chapter six, verse 16. And um, the I'm just going to go right to the amplified version. It says these things, these six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. A proud look, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others, a lying tongue, a hand that shed innocent blood, a heart that creates wicked plans, feet that run swiftly to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, even half-truths, and one who spreads discord, rumors among brothers. So in these three no, one, two. In these four verses, twice, God said, he doesn't like a lying tongue and he doesn't like a false witness. A false witness who breeds out lives, even half truths. Now, I have to admit, this, this particular part about this, you know, being faithful I'm like, Lord, you know, this is an area where not only myself, but the body of Christ, we need to shore up on this area. You know, because sometimes people think, well, you know, people talk about white lies. You know, there ain't no such thing. And I mean that there ain't no such thing as a white lie. Either you're telling the truth or you're lying. Okay? Then some people say, well, I just told a little lie. Well, what's a little lie? Some people say, well, you know, it was a half truth. You know, I told part of the truth, but, you know, I just didn't tell them everything. And then other people say, well, you know, I just didn't tell them that because they couldn't, you know, they, they, they couldn't receive what I had to say. They couldn't receive the truth. Well, then you should have just been quiet. Don't lie. You know, we have a, an option. We have, we have options. We either tell the truth or we cannot say anything. Right. Now, there are times where you're not going to be able to get away with not saying anything. I was, as I was studying today, I was thinking about, um, and I may not have this story. I'll, I'll give this disclaimer. I may not have it exactly right, but it'll be pretty close. I remember uh, Jesse Duplantis was saying that he was on the plane and this gentleman, once he found out that he was, you know, in the ministry, that the gentleman, be, you know, was just bad mouthing um, someone who there was somebody in the body of Christ that had fallen. And so this guy was just bad mouthing him. So Jesse said he asked him, well, have you ever committed adultery? And the man's wife was sitting right there. And so she looked at him, and she's waiting for him to answer. And he didn't answer. So she followed him all the way off the plane. Well, answer the man. Did you commit adultery? And he didn't answer, at least not while Jesse could see. He should have been quiet. But that was one of those times where he could not be quiet. He should have been quiet at not talking about anybody is what I'm trying to say. But when his wife asked him, or actually when Jesse asked him, and then his wife was waiting for his response, 
he needed to an answer. And she was relentless about answer the man. So there are it's situations where you're not going to be able to just be quiet. You're going to have to tell the truth or lie. But we want to be people that are truthful. Just like I said initially, if God told one lie, it would be difficult for us to believe him, right? Now, let me say this. If you haven't, fine, but most people, I'll just say this way, most people, even in this room, have told a lie. But you know what? If you have asked God for forgiveness, what has he done? He has forgiven you. Does he bring it up? No. Does he remind you of it? No. He forgave you. He put it in the sea of forgetfulness. He, he will not remind you of it. So it's, that's the past. That's under the blood. We sang about the blood tonight. That's under the blood. So it's from this moment forward. From tonight, we have the ability to make a decision about whether we're going to be truthful at all the, all the time. Not sometime, but all the time. And it's going to cost you something sometimes. But I tell you what, the lying will cost you so much more. It will cost you people's trust for you. Remember the little boy who cried wolf? He kept crying wolf. And then when there actually was a wolf, nobody believed him. So you could, if you lie and then you try to tell the truth, people still won't believe you. Now, you can, and, and now that doesn't mean that they don't love you, right? They just don't trust you. That's kind of bad between a husband and a wife. If they can't trust each other. That's, that's not a, a happy home, I guarantee you. That is not a happy home because there's always thoughts. There's always, people are always wondering. One or the other is always wondering, well, what are they doing? Where have they been? You know, um, if, if your husband, wife, and your spouse asks you, where have you been? You should be able to tell them where you've been. Right? I know I have had this friend she liked to shop. So her husband would call her sometimes, and, and she knew he was calling. And so, he, and he, you know, one of his questions would be, well, where are you? So what she would do, I'm not recommending this, what she would do, she would get out of the store. <laughs> and then when he said, where are you? She'd say, well, I'm in the car, <laughs> you know, or wherever she was, or I'm on the sidewalk, and... But she was in the store shopping. But she didn't want to lie, so she, went, she got out of the store and was someplace else. And then she felt like, well, I didn't lie because I wasn't in the store. Because <laughs> uh, she, she knew he didn't want her shopping. <laughs> so I'm just saying, right? Got to be careful. So you guys... We know who lying comes from, right? In John 8, 44, it says, 
Ye are, of, this is talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what that tells me is that if we are lying, we are siding with who? The The devil, right? And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And um, let's see, I, I'm going to give just a few more minutes and then we'll, we'll close. You all with me? Yeah. Okay. So we know that. We know that lying is not of God. We know God doesn't lie. We know that the devil is the liar. We know that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, Right? Right? So we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. So are we under Satan's jurisdiction anymore? So why would we want to side with him? We're to put off the old man, right? Okay, so... In Proverbs 13, verse 5, it says this, A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. So a righteous man, are we righteous? Have we not been made the righteous of God in Christ? We're righteous, right? So we hate lying. Then in Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 Um, The New Living Translation says this, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. We've stripped that off. Amen. Praise God. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I find it interesting, though that Colossians is written to the church of Colossae. So Paul was writing to believers, right? And he says, don't lie to each other. Don't do that. You know, one of the, um, and I have a lot more scriptures. Um, Ephesians 4:25 would be another. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The New Living Translation says, so stop lies, telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Praise God. Now, there's a number of reasons why people lie, and we don't have time to go into that. But I do want to just remind you, this is an extreme. You guys know Ananias and Sapphira, right? The story, that story. Remember, they sold the land. I'm paraphrasing real quick, because they sold land. And so they came up with this scheme that we're going to say we only got this much money for the land and we're going to give that to the church. But when um, 
Ananias went to Peter and Peter asked him, you know, is this really, you know, what you sold the land for? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happened to him? He dropped dead. What did Peter say? Peter said that he lied to who? He died to the Holy Ghost. He said, you, you lied to me, but you lied to the Holy Ghost. Now, praise God, I don't believe any of us are going to drop dead in here, right? <laughs> okay. But then his wife comes along later, and Peter asked her, and she lied too. Now, you know, around here, we're believing God for the anointing. We're believing for, you know, the, um, the, the spirit of God to be present and be prevalent in here. Now, you guys do realize that in that time, the anointing was strong. The presence of God was strong. So if we're praying for this. We better get it straight. <laughs> right? Because, you know, the Holy Ghost is going to expose some stuff. So let's get it straight. <laughs> 